again, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for all of the sessions that we've had so far. We ask your blessing on our efforts today, and not only today, but as we go forward, particularly with the uh, Holy Week coming up next week. Help us then to fix in our minds uh, a devotion to Mary, uh, the mother of God and the mother of all mankind. Uh, as we've learned, Mary was so special in your eyes, and we hope that she will be special in, in our eyes as well. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things, in Jesus' name. Before we get into the the actual uh, agenda, you might say, for today, I want to go over some of the uh, things that we've already uh, talked about in the past, sort of to pull it all together and hopefully to establish in your minds um, a little bit more about the importance of, of how Mary fits in. And then if you'll keep this in mind as you watch the video, because the video, uh, even though I, I prepared this agenda before I watched the video myself, uh, I find that it sort of works right into what we're going to be discussing now. So, uh, in order to really understand Mary, you have to go all the way back to the beginning and understand God's plan of salvation and how the other important people uh, fit into it. So, let me ask you some questions, and I'd like to hear what your response is, okay? This is sort of a little... uh, Verbal test, you might say, impromptu or whatever. So, God's plan of salvation was formed in his mind when? Always, yes, from all eternity, before creation. Because God being all-knowing and all-understanding and all-present, he was aware that when he went to create mankind, that mankind was going to offend him uh, because of his human nature and weaknesses. Uh, and in order to fulfill what he was trying to do, and that is share his love. In other words, love as we've said over and over. Love needs to be shared. It cannot be bottled up. And therefore, even though um, God is God and has no other needs, he needs to share that love and wants to share that love. And therefore, uh, he wanted to create mankind. But knowing that mankind was going to sin, he had to set up a plan to rectify because God and sinful mankind cannot live together for any length of time. Okay. So, yes, his plan of salvation was in his mind before creation. So, how do we know this? 
If you think about the beginning of the book of Genesis, I always say, even though the book of Genesis is more of an allegory than it is history, it has a great deal of detail in there that will tell you really more about God the Father than practically all the rest of the Old Testament. The one thing is, it talks about what God had in mind, particularly in the conversation between God and the serpent. All right? It indicates that God, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, was prepared to know how to deal with the serpent, who was sort of a figure uh, of the devil. Now, why a serpent? Why couldn't it be a cat or a mouse or a rabbit or, you know, whatever? Anybody know why the serpent was used? Yes. Oh, uh, well, that would be one attribute, yes. But there's even a more uh, definitive reason. And that is when the, uh, see, Genesis was not written until around the 5th century B.C., long after uh Numbers and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy were were written. And when it was written, when we believe it was written by the priest Ezra, but we're not certain of that, uh, the serpent was used as uh, a metaphor or a euphemism or whatever for the devil because the serpent, when the people were in Egypt, they were forced to worship the serpent who was a god in the eyes of the Egyptians. So the serpent was used as, or, or worshipped as a god. And therefore, when the person who wrote Genesis wanted to use, you know, a, a visual idea of the, of god, of the devil, he chose that particular one. All right. Does that make sense? It's sort of like getting back at the Egyptians, unfortunately, 1,500 years too late. All right. <clears throat> so, we know that because of that conversation. And if you want to get into the details, go back to uh, Genesis chapters 2, uh, yeah, two and 3. Okay. Uh, but... When was it actually, when was God's plan of salvation actually implemented? Yes, Betty? No, uh, that showed some of the effects of mankind's fall, that is, the fall from grace and they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. But, Gene? No. With Abraham. God's plan of salvation started or was implemented with Abraham. Uh, he set up the Jewish nation. 
And it began with a family. Remember, we talked about, in one of the sessions, the importance to God of the family. And so he took Abraham and Sarah. And why did he pick them? Because they were the only ones that we know of uh, that worshipped the one true God. Right. That was not really a common belief at the time of Abraham because at that time the majority of people who worshipped gods worshipped many gods. But Abraham worshipped one God, the God of all creation. But that's as far as he knew. And so God took Abraham and Sarah to begin his plan of salvation by bringing uh, a child that they had been praying for uh, into existence, that was Isaac, and from that began the whole family of Abraham, and eventually from Isaac, uh, the twelve tribes of Jacob, all right? Jacob was Isaac's son, all right? Now, it says, did God do this alone? Well, we kind of just told you, in a way, that no, he didn't do it alone. He chose what? Partners. Okay. All right. Now, you'll see in this video uh, the same idea, the same concept, and the same purpose, except that the narrator in the video We'll use the word co-workers rather than partners or servants. Now, who are some of the other partners that God chose in the implementation of this plan? Moses, all right. David. Mary, yes, of course. Yes, who else? The prophets, yes. And a number of people in the Old Testament had very special roles. What about John the Baptist? He was supposed to be, in a way, uh, and not in, in the, more of a, a metaphorical way, but he was supposed to be the reincarnation of Elijah, who was taken up into a whirlwind uh, into heaven and... Uh, the legend that developed from that was that Elijah had to return to earth to die before he could go up there permanently. God knows how that ever happened, I should. <laughs> Don't ask me to explain that one, but that's the legend. And it's mentioned not only in the first book of Kings, but also in one of the prophets, uh, but it became a legend, and that is all that it really was. All right. Now, in all of these numbers of, you know, it's getting too warm in here. Is it? Let me let me stop for a moment, and I'll turn it down.
it'll shut off in a minute. Now, of all of these prophets, no, excuse me, Joe. I have a question. Yes. In the Jewish religion, do they believe in reincarnation then? No. They don't? No. I was just wondering how that came about. That's right. That's why it's kind of difficult to explain. Yeah. See, you know, I just just twist my arm and the thing goes off. No, they do not believe in it. I was wondering since they kind of used that possibly to come up with this uh, no. idea whether they believe in it. No, no. Okay. Now, of course, somebody already answered this, but who is the most important person or most important partner in God's plan of salvation? Mary. That's right. And why? Why? What? Well, God needed a mother. Interesting point in a way. If you think about it, yeah, that's the right, right there. We are. Uh, you have to understand why did Jesus come to Earth in the first place? And this is something a lot of people have never really thought about. You know, they accept him as God and so forth and so on. But if you think about it, in God's plan of salvation, he needed something to give to mankind in order to use as a sacrifice to be offered for the sins of mankind. But mankind had nothing that was of a divine nature or the level of a divine gift. And therefore, God had to give himself, or a part of himself, to mankind. So, Jesus, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, was given to mankind. And in order to do that, he had to be a man. He had to be part of us, one of us, in all respects. And therefore, he had to come to us in the same way as anyone else. And while he was growing up, he had to be like anyone else and experience all of the ups and downs and the good and the bad and the ugly and so forth that all mankind experiences in the growing up process. That's something that's really important. Because in order to be offered back to the Father, he had to be one of us, representing all mankind, taking upon his own back, you might say, the sins of all mankind before, during his lifetime, and forever after. Because he was both a human and divine, that was a sacrifice that was then acceptable to the Father. Now, a lot of people have said, well, is God so angry with mankind that it requires the death and sacrifice of his own son? No. It's just the opposite. God is, is so loving and loved 
mankind so much because he is infinite love in itself and needed really the idea of a human being who was equal to him and could offer something back to him that was acceptable. And sacrifice was a traditional way of getting God's attention, you might say, and uh, offering prayers and supplications and petitions, etc. But this way, when Jesus offered himself on the cross, it was for the greater honor and glory of the Father and to relieve the uh, barrier, you might say, that was created by sinful mankind uh, that separated God uh, from man. And that is represented in, again, the stories of Adam and Eve by the expulsion from the Garden of Eden. A lot of people say, well, you mean Adam and Eve got kicked out of that for eating an apple? No. Adam and Eve, of course, are allegories. You know where the word, the names came from? Adam and Eve? If you go back to the ancient Hebrew, the Aramaic, the word mankind or man is Adam. And so the word Adam represents all mankind. Not just one single human being. And we have to look at it that way. Adam represents the sins of all mankind, not just a single person. Uh, Eve in the same way. The word Eve actually represents the word woman in ancient mankind. Um, lost my train of thought a little bit, but hey, what else is new? Okay. So the whole idea of sacrifice is important, and that's why that idea of sacrifice is continued on a daily basis through our Mass. The Mass is an offering, uh, a sacrificial, and the word sacrifice, please, don't misunderstand. The word sacrifice does not mean some bloody, uh, you know, slaughter. The word sacrifice in itself, itself means offering. All right. The word sacrifice means offering. And that is why in our daily Mass, throughout all the churches, throughout the world, the Mass is a sacrifice or an offering of thanksgiving. Every Mass is an offering of thanksgiving. And why do we say it's an offering of thanksgiving? It's because we thank God for giving us are opening the door for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why we honor Christ in such a high way. Now, we take from that the idea of how did Christ get here in the first place? And that was through 
Mary. And that is why Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the mother of God, as it was later uh, defined, uh, is so important, and why she is at the head of the list of all the partners. Because God had to make her special. If the idea of sin was so repugnant to God that he had to separate Adam and Eve, you might say, and eventually send his own divine son here to rectify the situation, then it's important that he have a special vehicle to assist him. Along with many of the other partners, Mary was created special right from the beginning of her conception. And like a very fine uh, vase or a very fine uh, bottle of some kind, that reminds me, I have a bottle uh, that... If anyone knows what Louis the Fourteenth cognac is like, it uh, sells for somewhere around $1,500 a bottle. And if you want a shot of it in the, uh, a bar or a restaurant, it was a minimum of $100 per shot. All right. Uh, the bottle itself is pure backrack crystal. And so I have an empty bottle. <laughs> I wish it wasn't empty, but uh, but you see the importance uh, because there's a lot of significance of that bottle to me in an event from which it came, but I won't go into that. Uh, the idea of something very precious has to be preserved, and that is why Jesus. And God, in his infinite wisdom, had to develop or bring into existence a pure vehicle to carry the divine son for nine months. And that is why Mary's uh, immaculate conception is so honored as the most important uh, part of her original uh, partnership with God. Right. And then the whole idea of Mary uh, being the mother, excuse me, <laughs> being the mother of God had to nourish him, nurse him, nourish him, uh, take care of him, raise him from uh, an infant to adulthood. And while he was in her presence as an adult, up till around the age 30, which was considered the age of adulthood at that time and in that culture, he set aside his divinity so that he could experience everything in the same way that the rest of us experience the first 30 years of our life. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of people don't look at it that way. But in uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, it says how God set aside his divinity 
in order to experience all of the same conditions that any other man would have to experience because he was one of us and was supposed to represent all of us in the final end. And then at his baptism, the divinity returned, not returned because it was never separated. He just took up his divinity again in order to say and do the things that he did. That is, uh, the miracles that he worked uh, after his baptism. Not before, but after the baptism. And to have the authority to say what he did. For example, one of the things in, you'll find in uh, John's Gospel, chapters uh, 16 through 18, uh, the words, I am. If you count them, there's at least 21 times when Jesus says, I am. And of course, that word, I am, goes back to the uh, burning bush scene in the book of Exodus, where uh, Moses confronts this book, or this bush that is burning, but is not being burnt up. It's not being consumed. And of course, it is God who's appearing in that particular um, scene and in that bush, telling uh, Moses that he has to go back to Egypt to the Pharaoh and help in releasing or getting the Israelites released from slavery uh, from the Pharaoh. And the term I am is uh, what Jesus, I mean, I'm sorry, what God identifies himself as. Remember, in that culture at that time period, giving somebody your name, somebody that you are not closely related to, Giving somebody your name is the same as giving him authority not over over you, but from you to represent you. And that is the importance of the word or the phrase, I am. And when Jesus uses that in John's Gospel 21 times in those three chapters, it is to tell people that he is God. It's a way of saying, I am God. Remember, Jesus never refers to himself verbally as the Son of God. He does so in in other ways, but not directly. Because in that culture, you wouldn't do that kind of thing. Uh, But, you know, you still get the point across. So we have so many things that Mary is involved in, in many ways, but never to bring attention to herself. She gains attention through the fact that she is the most important human being ever created. But she never asks for information or attention to herself. Uh, Mary only speaks three times in the gospel, or in in the, the whole Bible, you might say. Anyone know what those three times are? Annunciation. Annunciation. 
the wedding feast at Cana, yes, the visit with Elizabeth and at the Annunciation, yes. Hmm? Oh, you're right. I never thought about that, but you're right. Yes, uh, when Christ was lost in the temple. Yeah, uh, that's fourth time. Well, you want to get up here and John. Well, yeah, you know, even a teacher can learn something new once in a while. Uh, you know, I've always said three times, too. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. No, that's important, too. Okay. Uh, remember that in that little incident of Jesus when he's 12 or 13, about the time that uh, Jewish boys celebrate their bar mitzvah. You know, that's a fairly recent uh, uh, reason for celebrating. That did not take place uh, back at the time of Christ. But, nevertheless, uh, Mary and Joseph had to go to uh, Jerusalem from Nazareth because that was the custom. You had to go there at least once a year and at Passover was the most frequent time. Uh, Jesus got lost in the temple. Well, he didn't really get lost. He was just a bratty kid and he stayed there on his own. You know. Uh, now, no, I'm, I'm just joking, but uh, remember they traveled in large groups. They did not travel alone. And so Mary and Joseph on their return trip thought he was just in the group and was probably playing with his friends as they walked along. Well, he didn't. He stayed back there because he was more interested in talking to the uh, scribes and Pharisees within the temple and they were amazed at his uh, understanding of scripture. And that is because of his unique birth, Mary and Joseph was, were not going to keep that unique birth uh, situation or circumstances uh, secret or from him. So obviously, uh, as he grew up, they would encourage him to search the scriptures to see uh, how his unique birth situation fit in. And so obviously, uh, when he was discussing scripture with the scribes and Pharisees at the age of 12, they were astonished because that was rather unusual for a child of that age. So we have a number of things that, again, everything that Mary did reflects Christ in some way. So that is why we honor her as the most important person, uh, the most important partner in all of mankind, in all creation, before Christ, during, and afterwards. Any questions? We have a little bit more time, and I would like to open up the discussion for any question that you may have on other subjects. Yes. Oh, 
difficult to see women didn't count in those days. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, we're only talking about men because men were the only ones that were judged to be, you know, mature. Sorry about that, but... Uh, You're forgiven. I know you probably know the answer to this. Well, I hope I do. I Greeting card places, but what's the difference between a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah? Bar mitzvah is the male and a bat mitzvah is female. And bat mitzvah is, is very recent, or very recent times. Yes? Yes? Not, not uh, Our Lady of, of Guadalupe. No, Our Lady of Fatima, yes. The Lady of Fatima, there's definitely a crown in the image, but not uh, in Guadalupe. No, 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 no. And you see, it wouldn't have gone along with the culture at that time. Because... Uh, monarchies were looked down upon. You remember that was just ten years after uh, the Spaniards had conquered uh, um, Mexico City and the rulers of Mexico. So uh, that would not have been appropriate at the time. So Mary, in the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, had to look like one of the natives, you might say. And that's why she's dark-skinned and is modestly dressed. Yeah. Any other questions? Well, because that goes back again to the uh, book of Genesis where Christ said, or rather God said, uh, that the woman and her child would crush the head of the serpent. Okay. And you have the same picture. Did, did the, the picture, did Juan Diego see her that way? Standing on the no, no, no. That appeared when he opened the cloak and the image of the virgin was on it already. Yeah. Yes. But you have the same thing in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. Uh, the woman with the uh, crown of 12 stars and standing on the, the, you might say, the crescent of the moon and uh, stepping on the serpent's head. Yeah. It was through her, of course, that Satan was defeated. Through her because it was her son, Christ. Yes. That relationship is extremely important, and, you know, it's mentioned in uh, the book of Genesis, uh, it's mentioned in a couple of the Psalms, and it's mentioned in the book of Revelation, the first book and the last book of the Bible. Yeah. Right. Any other questions? Lou? Um, Yes, he was. That's right. He, yes, it was too soon for them to develop a local culture 
of uh, clergy. Yeah, because it was only 10 years after the conquest of Mexico. Yes, by the Spaniards. Okay. Any other questions? All right. Yes, Dick? Conception began after her acceptance. Her, her, her immaculate conception. Her immaculate conception is what I thought. Oh, I see. No, the, the immaculate conception is when her role started. Yes. Yes, you're right. Yes. Um, you were also talking about, like, miracles of Jesus. Uh-huh. I don't know if you said this or not, because I don't really know the name of it, but when, like, Jesus came four days later when the guy died and, um, uh huh. Go ahead. Like, Lazarus, yes. Well, yes. The the young man here is talking about the miracle uh, that took place when uh, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. Remember, he was already dead for four days. And uh, uh, his sisters, Mary and, and uh, Martha, uh, sort of, in a way, sort of chided him for, why didn't he come sooner? If he uh, rose all of these other people from the dead or uh, cured them and so forth, this was his friend. Why didn't he come sooner? So he had to explain that it wasn't for Lazarus' sake that he came late. Uh, it was for these people to see that he, being God, could raise people from the dead. And that's when he called forth Lazarus from the tomb after the stone had been rolled back for him. Yeah. Yes. Uh, didn't you, uh, Mary speak, didn't Mary speak when Jesus come back from the dead, didn't she? Because didn't he come to her? Didn't she say something to him? No, we don't know that for sure. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, but Madge came close to the mystery question. Remember, I mentioned the mystery question: Why did Jesus not appear to his own mother first? Why didn't he? That's right. Of course, Jean knows that because I brought that up before. Uh, we don't know that he didn't, and presumably he did. Because of his love for his own mother, 
But it was a private meeting that didn't need to be put into scripture. But the idea of Mary Magdalene being the first human being that he appeared to, other than Mary, uh, makes sense because there was a reason for it. All right. But you would imagine that in such a important event. Yeah, he would come to his mother first. He would come to his mother first, but it was a private meeting. Yeah. And didn't need to be. So we we don't know that for sure, but it, it's more likely that that's the way it happened. Yeah. So? You know, I always go back to when he was, in, when he was a little boy in the temple. And you're saying, well, they must have thought of this and that. I thought that the Well, that sounds that sounds reasonable, but it goes against the reason that Christ set aside his divinity to experience everything that all mankind did. But remember, every firstborn male was consecrated to God, and therefore they could say that didn't... Uh, Shouldn't I be in my father's house or something of that kind? Right. So that would have been acceptable for every firstborn male. Do you think it's possible that that represents to us that the more you give of yourself to God, the more you give back? Amen. The perfect example of yes. Well, he, he got that because of his dedication to the Father. Uh, now, well, yeah. his. His, you know, he was the perfect example of how to make God everything in your life. Well, you mean when he set aside and then it came his divinity? Right. When he, if he had, if he set aside his divinity, the, 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 for lack of better words, the fruit, the fruits of his labor, where he had, he had this, this knowing of God, this knowledge of God, because, you know, asking will be given, seek will find. You know, the, the, he showed us that. Seek God with all your heart, strength, and strength. Well, it, yeah, it, it might might be, but this was part of the plan altogether, all uh, right from the beginning. Uh, we feel that he set aside his divinity up until the time of his baptism. And that's when it came back, and that was confirmed by the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Okay, the words listen to him when added on to or added on in the beginning of what Mary said really gives us the essence of a loving command. Listen to him and do what he tells you. You put those two together from the father in the apparition at the time of Jesus' baptism, you know, when the dove landed on him, that kind of thing. And the father's voice says, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The directive to all mankind. And Mary's directive in the same way, even though they are to the uh, waiters, 
uh, their servants at the time of the marriage feast of Cana, when she says, and do whatever he tells you, how could you ask for anything more direct? Yes. But anyway, um, since Mary was a perpetual virgin, was Jesus born in the normal manger? No. Do you have any idea when? No. One of the videos talks about the fact that uh, when Mary was born, she did not have to go through the traditional labor pains. Now, how he knows that, I don't know, but uh, that's what he says. And it makes sense because a perpetual virgin would not want to break the, whatever it's called. Uh, I'm sure all you ladies know. Um, and therefore, uh, she was carrying Jesus one moment and the next moment he was in her arms. Yeah. Without going through the process. Yeah. Oh, if all you women could follow suit. <laughs> yes, ma'am. The firstborn were listed in the temple. Why was the firstborn not in the other of the other males and the women were not considered? Uh, well, that was the culture. The firstborn was responsible for all of the other uh, children, male and female. And that goes through all the way up through through life. If the father dies, the firstborn male inherits everything, even though the mother is still living. But he also inherits the responsibility of taking care of the mother as well as any other siblings. Yeah. That's the culture. I, you know, the second son, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Jane? Well, they might have to change the culture. Yes, yes, yes. The first time is the youngest, so he will also take over all the sisters. He had the responsibility of taking care of the sisters, yes. Yeah. That's why the story of the prodigal son is so interesting and somewhat misleading. Uh, if you all know the story of the prodigal son where the youngest son uh, asked for his inheritance, technically that was not um, an obligation of the father at that time. You know, <clears throat> uh, but there's so many facets to that story. And Henry Nowen, wrote the most wonderful book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And it talks about the other son just as much. Remember, the other son did all the things that he was supposed to do, but he, you know, kind of resented it all because his father really never showed any um, pleasure or interest or appreciation. Uh, So you could tell he never... Uh, really did it out of love. He did it out of duty and respect, but not out of love. And that's the point that God is trying to, or Jesus is trying to make in that story. That love is far more important than 
what you do or how you do it. It's the love with which you do it that's so important. But I would recommend, if anyone wants a good uh, book to read uh, during Lent, and particularly during Holy Week next week, read The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. And it's spelled, it's a Dutch name, spelled N-O-U-W-I-N, I believe. Uh, no, H-O-U-W-I-N. Yeah. Hmm? Uh, well, I've seen it both ways, because I have two or three copies. Yeah, it was so good that I read it two or three times. <laughs> yes, Don? Uh, you no, know, in Genesis 3, uh, when man fell, uh, it says, I will intensify the pangs of childbearing. You shall bring forth children. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yes. And that was part of original sin. Yes. And Mary didn't have original sin, so she didn't have pain in childbirth. That's right. That's a good point. That's a good way to put those together. Yes. Did you all understand that? Yeah. All right. The whole idea of childbirth and the pains that go along with it are an indication of mankind's sin. But because Mary never sinned, she didn't have to go through that particular uh, painful event. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope that <laughs> I hope that sums up all that we talked about over these nine sessions. And I thought it was, was done rather well. Um, so are you? Uh, any, any questions, first of all? Does that bring any thoughts or changes or ideas to you that you haven't had before? Or has it solved many of your problems that you may have had regarding Mary? I know some people uh, have felt right from the beginning that they've had a little bit of a problem in honoring Mary as uh, as we do. No one? Uh-huh. Good. Good. Yeah, you got to understand the, the biblical uh, source of all of the Marian devotions. Amen. I agree with you. Okay. No other questions. All right. Let me. Uh, yes, Lenore. No. No. That's part of setting aside his Godhead, and he had to learn who he was as a human being. Remember, always keep in mind why he came to earth in the first place. To be a human being. And then later, it wasn't until after he took up his divinity again at the time of his baptism, then did he start being both God and man. Yeah. He never, they were never separated, even during those first 30 years. But he 
uh, set aside. That's why I use that term, uh, because it wasn't, it was, it was still God. Always. Always. No. Not, not growing up. No. 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 But theologians have, uh, thought this out on their own and, and if you look into the background of the hypostatic re, hypostatic union, it is the dual nature of God and mankind in Christ that determines that during the first 30 years he set aside and was not aware that he was God. Sometimes that's hard to uh, uh, kind of accept, but that's what theologians tell us. I think it's more, it depends on the way it really makes sense, but it's just, it's what it has been added. That's right. But I was going to ask, so, though, do you suppose that the Blessed Mother had some sort of a, a, a you know, because of her, the Annunciation, and then the visit of the Magi, all the, all the things in the beginning, do they think that she had any kind of anything? That was well, yes, in a way, because the angel told her that he would be uh, the son of, uh, of the Most High or something, I forgot the exact words, uh, and that he would be the save, save the, save your people from their sins. But she probably didn't have a, a total understanding. No, she had no total understanding. You know, Joseph the same way. Obviously, both of them knew that there were unique circumstances surrounding the birth, but I don't think either of them knew the full extent of what those circumstances were. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. One uh, one thing I'd like to hear from you is what would you like to study the next time around, assuming that there will be a next time. There will be. Which would not begin until September, mid-September. Okay. But uh, I'd like to hear from you what you might uh, want. Mid-September. Mid-September. Ready? Women in the Bible. (laughs) I don't think I'm qualified. I I would really have to think more than once about that. Yeah. Yes. Anyone else? Oh, Acts of the Apostles. We did that a couple of years ago. We haven't done anything from the Old Testament uh, in some time. Uh, would you be interested in that? Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, yes, the first book of Kings. But in order to really make sense out of Kings, you have to go back to the first and second book of Samuel. So you have to do four books at one time. And that would cover a lot more than ten weeks. Uh, you could do that, Samuel, in the uh, in the fall and kings in the spring. Well, that's a way of looking at it. Yeah. Uh, no, I will not teach the book of Revelation. Uh, First of all, in order to truly understand the book of Revelation, you must understand the Old Testament. Because so much of the 
uh, New Testament, uh, particularly the book of Revelation, is based on an understanding of the Old Testament. For example, they've talked about chapter 12 in the book of Revelation, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and so forth, Mary being sort of a euphemistic way of identifying uh, a very special role for the Ark of the Covenant, which in the Old Testament uh, was a physical item. In the New Testament, it is Christ himself. Right. So, but you have to understand both of them. Also, to really understand the book of Revelation, you really need to study the book of Daniel first. Because the book of Daniel from the Old Testament is in many ways like the New Testament in that it is apocalyptic language. Language that is disguising a greater meaning or a deeper meaning. And that's what it's all about. Uh, Daniel, when you read it, sounds like real fantasy. Uh, Arabian Nights type of thing. But if you know the background, you know the history behind Daniel, and that is the uh, overrun of Israel by the Greeks in the second century, particularly uh, Antiochus uh, the fourth, Epiphanes. Uh, that particular person tried to force the Israelites, the Jewish people, uh, to abandon their ways and accept Greek c- culture. And this whole idea of the book of, of Daniel is written to give the people hope to hang in there to their faith. But it's disguised as if it took place and happened back in the 6th century at the time of the Babylonian captivity. But it was actually written in the 2nd century and it was written under this disguised language which we call apocalyptics. Revelation is the same thing. It was written during the time of the uh, original Roman rule of Israel. After the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., and it was written to disguise, it was written in a language to disguise uh, the criticism that the author is making against uh, what the Romans are forcing the Jewish people to do. Okay? And again, its whole purpose is to give them hope uh, to hang in there and not abandon the Jewish faith. Uh, I have a couple of favorites, yeah. In the Old Testament, my favorite is the book of Deuteronomy. There's a, a, the book of Deuteronomy is the basis for the Torah, or the Jewish law, okay? It has a very interesting history. And I like to bring in, and again, if you don't understand the history behind it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Because it purports to uh, be the voice of Moses. But it wasn't written until 800 years after Moses. And it written, was written for a purpose. Again, uh, to try to convince the people who were departing uh, from Jewish law, from a Mosaic law in droves, and 
really going into worshipping multi-gods and all kinds of other things. It was trying to get them to come back and, you know, listen up. Uh, because the fear of God was going to come down upon them, which it did in the form of the Assyrians. Yeah. Okay. All right. But all of that will uh, decide in, over the summer. We've got a long time. But if any of you have any um, special interests or uh, suggestions, let me know at any time. Okay. Uh, yes, ma'am. There, it's, it's, my email is simply mbarar at surewest.net. Okay. Surewest.net. Yes. Now, I have a little gift for each of you. It's a very thin little book called Mary, the Handmaid of the Lord. And as you leave, I would like uh, you to pick up one of these. Please do not take more than one because I only have enough for just the number of people in here. Uh, but it's a great little book that kind of summarizes most of what we've talked about in these sessions. And I hope that it will help you in developing a greater devotion uh, to Mary. Yes, Cora? The Book of Numbers. Uh, the Book of, that's a good question, Cora. Uh, Cora just asked why, uh, what is the purpose and the uh, origin of the Book of Numbers? Before the first four books, not excluding Deuteronomy, before the first four books of the Bible was written, it came down beginning in the 10th century B.C. as just history. And it came down from three different uh, sources. When Ezra, back in the 5th century B.C., tried to put all of this together, he separated uh, certain portions of the events of the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years during that time period, he wanted to separate uh, the more important events of the reason for the release of the Israelites from the Egyptians and he put that in the book of Exodus. All of the other events, with one exception, which I'll get to in a minute, all of the other events of that 40-year time period is in the book of Numbers. And it's called Numbers because the Jewish people at that time were very interested in how many Jews came out of Egypt and how many did they uh, procreate, you might say, during that time period? And so the word numbers uh, is an over uh, overkill, you might say. Uh, it's just a broad uh, way to describe those particular events. Now, the exception is, 
all of the liturgies and <coughs> the religious observances uh, that developed from the time of Moses up and through that 40-year period uh, are put into the book of Leviticus. So Leviticus is very religious-oriented. It has all the descriptions of the sacrifices and the do's and the don'ts that have to do with that kind of thing uh, of the uh, Jewish faith. Uh, I don't know if that helps you or not, but give you some idea. And that's why those uh, five books now, because Ezra wrote the book of Genesis to give it a beginning. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a summation of the sayings of Moses or things that are attributed to Moses, not necessarily actual quotes. Uh, but it's in a narrative form that makes it sound like it is actually Moses speaking, and that was a purpose. <coughs>